0: Eventually, John chapter 1, and so if you uh, haven't been here, we're in the final week of a, a sermon series um, that we uh, that is promoted by the Southern Baptist Convention um, called Who's Your One? And I hope that you've been blessed by it. Uh, I know I have um, personally, as I think about that one person... And, and like Mr. Tommy said, it's hard to narrow it down to one. It don't have to be one. It needs to be at least one, okay? Uh, one person that you want to see come uh, to salvation in Jesus Christ uh, and be praying for them. We have, more, um, we have more bookmarks in the back on your way out on the table if you want some. It's a 30-day prayer for that person using Scripture every day, um, and I encourage you to do that. But uh, I want to give credit again to Mr. Johnny Hunt, Pastor Johnny Hunt, Uh, who now works for the Southern Baptist Convention and uh, for today's outline and a few of the illustrations. I want to give credit to that to him from the get-go. So um, you guys remember our first December here. I've only been here, like, what, about 14 months, but the first December... That I was here, we did the whole month, we, we did a, a, a series based on the movie It's a Wonderful Life. Do y'all remember that? Those are here? Okay. Um, and so, uh, and, you know, the, obviously it's one of my favorite movies, especially during uh, Christmas time. Um, but the idea is um, the, I, the, the title of it is It's a Wonderful Life, and that's the title of today's sermon. All right. What makes a wonderful life in the kingdom of God? All right. Is it somebody who, uh, the only people who can have a wonderful life? Are the people who bring thousands of people to Christ, or it can it be just uh, some of us who maybe we only brought a couple, maybe just one, all right? But maybe that one brought a hundred or a thousand. So the idea is uh, is is there's no insignificance with God. Um, Bugs Bugs Bunny. Anybody? We used to grow up watching Bugs Bunny. All right, on Saturday morning. All right, uh, Bugs Bunny in one of his cartoons ca- entitled "A Star Is Bored." Okay. Sounds like Bugs Bunny already. All right. He asked this question. He said, why would anyone want to read about little old me? Yeah, why would anybody want to read about me? All right, little old me. And, and he, of course, he's being humble. But, you know, he's always kind of humble bragging a lot of times, too. But uh, old Bugs is something else. But um, have you ever felt insignificant? Like you really don't matter all that much. Um, like, you know, what can one person really do? Um, you know, I met people who, who say they didn't vote. We talked about this Wednesday night. I met people. I remember one time somebody didn't vote uh, for the presidency. This was years and years ago, like over a decade ago. And this person was just complaining like all get out. You know? And I'm like, well, well, who'd you vote for? He said, I didn't vote. I'm like, Why'd you, why are you complaining? You, have, you, you, didn't, you didn't even. He said, well, what was one vote matter anyway? All right, and so um, have you ever felt insignificant? Like I said a few weeks ago, you do matter. One person matters. Um, And so no life is insignificant. We never bring anyone insignificant to Jesus. Amen? All right, we are all created in the image of God. As Johnny Johnny Hunt said, Christ paid the ultimate price on the cross to redeem you and me. That is not insignificant, okay, each and every one of us. Today we're going to look at the life of the disciple who you probably don't know much about. Right, because he really wasn't mentioned much in the Bible by name. Um, he, he never preached in front of a crowd, as far as we know. And as far as we know, he never started a church. Okay? Uh, but he was far from insignificant. His name was Andrew. All right? Oh, Andrew. So let me give you some background information uh, with, with some help from Mr. Johnny Hunt. Scripture doesn't tell us a lot about Andrew, Andrew. He appears in the New Testament only nine times. And most references simply mention him in passing. Uh, Andrew lived his life in the shadows of his better-known brother. Anybody know? Peter. That's right. Uh, he even uh, is mentioned in the text as Simon Peter's brother a lot of times. Okay, Just because like, well, you probably don't know about this Andrew guy. He's Oh, Peter's brother. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know him now. All right. And so um, he just seems insignificant. Andrew's name means manly. All right, which is cool. All right, uh, I want to change my name now, uh, Andrew. Uh, he was a strong fisherman. His life proved him to be very bold, decisive, and deliberate. He was driven by a hearty passion for the truth, and he was willing to subject himself to the most extreme kinds of hardship. Andrew's personal encounter with Jesus took place a few months after Jesus' baptism, which is in John chapter 1, verses 29-34. Andrew and John were standing next to John the Baptist when Jesus walked by, and John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God. Andrew and John became Jesus' first disciples. Andrew was the first of all the disciples to be, to be called. Um, the, the news Andrew heard was too good to keep to himself, so he went and found the one person in the world he most loved, we'll look at that in a minute, whom he most wanted to know Jesus and led, led him to Christ. Had Andrew never been born, the, the New Testament could have changed significantly. significantly. Um, Peter may have never been saved. Uh, someone else would have preached the famous Pentecost sermon. Right, uh, we would have to eliminate two books in the New Testament, First and Second Peter, of which one of them we're going to start studying on Wednesday nights in March. Okay, um, you, you know, only heaven knows what else would have been left out of the Bible in church history. And so, the main point uh, that we're going to look at today is because because nobody is insignificant to God. That means He can use even little old you. And we're going to tip our hat to Bugs Bunny on that one. Okay? Alright. So on the screen you can see the today's uh, sh- uh, scripture, which is John chapter 1, verses 40 through 42. You'll we'll see it in a minute. Miss Rhonda does a great job back there. Sometimes I confuse her because I'm all over the place sometimes. All right. Mr. Lori says she missed my energy. All right. Um, you never know how to take that, okay? All right. I take it from Mr. Loris the right way. But you can take that in in like, okay, he's just like, woohoo! All right, okay. All right, I'm gonna take it in a good way. All right, um it is, thank you, thank you. I know, I know, I'm just messing with you. John chapter 1, verses 40 through 42, read with me. It says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother, Simon, and told him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated to Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. All right, may God bless the reading of his word. So what's the first thing Andrew did that we see in Scripture? He did, went and told what? Went and told Peter. He found his brother and brought Peter to Jesus. Hey, Homer Lindsay said this of Andrew. When I think of Andrew, one word comes to mind. He was an inviter. Hey, some of you all, are a little. When I, when I mentioned earlier about uh, what the plans in March to go visit, I bet some of you are like, ah, uh, Sounds like a good, di- good, good idea, brother. I don't know if I want to go with you. And I don't like, I don't know about going and see people or, or uh, maybe people I don't know or whatever. Look, all, hey, all we have to do is just say, if they open the door to us, hey, we just want to invite you to church. Okay? Because um, we're going to look at that. Because the idea about just inviting them to church is 96%, according to statistics, 96% of the people that will ever sit in that empty seat or that empty seat or, or these up here, most of them is up in the front because we're a Baptist church, just plain. Okay, but no, but uh, 96% of them will come when somebody invites them. 96% all we got to do is invite them, okay? Come to church, okay? Uh, you may not have a lot of gospel, like you know, uh, presentation, you know, uh, witnessing, um, uh, you know, techniques, or maybe you've never gone through a class on that. It's okay, all right? We're just going to simply invite them, uh, and we'll go from there. Um, and we're working out the details on that, and I'm really excited today. We're going to look at Three things uh, about Andrew, and I hope to be able to say the same things about my life, and hopefully you can say the same thing about your life. So point number one is he saw the value of individual people. He saw the value of individual people. See, Andrew ap- appreciated the value of a single soul. He was, known, uh, he was known for bringing individuals, not crowds, to Jesus. Almost every time we see him in the gospel, he is bringing someone to Jesus. He brought, he brought Peter to Jesus. Again, just one person, and he brought a little boy with his lunch to Jesus. All right, we'll look at that in a minute, just one. Like I mentioned earlier, we have no record of him speaking to crowds. Um, according to Johnny Hunt, Andrew was referred to as the first home missionary in the New Testament because he brought one to Christ. Listen in John chapter 1, verses 20-22. through 22. Now some Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the festival. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested of him, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And uh, kind of reading into that text, the idea is that, that Andrew, that Philip was, you know, I don't know if I can bring these people. Up. They told Andrew, and then you'll see that Jesus starts talking to these people. So the idea is Andrew must have brought them, okay, because Jesus was talking to them and, and preached <coughs> to him, okay? And so um, notice what, what he did there. He, uh, Philip didn't bring him to, them to Jesus, Andrew did. So. Uh, not only was he the first home missionary, but some theologians will say he's the first forward missionary because those people were Greeks. We don't, we don't know a whole lot about him, but we know those two things about them. That's pretty cool. All right. Uh, he brought Greeks to our Jewish Savior. Johnny Hunt also said, Most people do not come to Jesus Christ as an immediate response to a sermon they hear in a crowded setting. They come to Christ because of an influence of an individual. Okay. Now, and it goes back to, okay, well, um, you know, so that means I don't ever have to say anything about Christ. Ah, I, would, I disagree on that, okay? I do believe that your witness, how you live your life, is, is powerfully, very, very important, okay? But you also need to talk about Christ, too. So, like the other day, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about, you know, the whole, guy, the whole story about the fishermen. And we talked about fish, all right? And we did all these stories about fish, and we, did, we learned, did all this learning about fish, and then we put ourselves beside people, beside fish, but we didn't fish. You know, and so that kind of goes with that. All right. Uh, Jonathan Lehman said, more than the headline makers, it's the daily life of the average Christian that ultimately forms the world's perception of Christ and his gospel. And how we live our life is vitally important. Amen. So this Andrew was both the first home missionary and first foreign missionary. Was Andrew insignificant? No way. He saw the value of individual people. Um, Now, let me tell you a story about a guy named Edward Kimball. You ever heard of him, Edward Kimball? I, w- I would guess probably none, nobody here has heard of him. Uh, again, this is a story from Johnny Hunt, and I can't do it any better than this. I love this story. It said Edward Kimball went to Boston, sh- to a Boston shoe store, where 18-year-old D.L. Moody worked. You ever heard of D.L. Moody? Yeah, one, of the, one of the most famous uh, preachers of all time. Uh, Moody had begun to attend um, Edward Kimball's Sunday school class moody was totally untaught and ignorant about the bible kimball said i decided this is quote i decided to speak to moody about christ and about his soul i started downtown the holton shoe store where moody worked when i was nearly there i began to wonder whether i ought to go uh, just then during business hours and i thought maybe my mission might embarrass the boy that that when i went away the other clerks might ask who i was and when they learned they might taunt uh moody and ask if i was trying to make a good boy out of him." While I was pondering over it all, I passed the store without noticing it. That's all I was thinking about it. Then when I found that I had gone by the door, I determined to make a dash for it and have it over at once. I'm like, get this done. Kimball found Moody in the stock room and spoke to him with what he called limping words. Limping words. Later he said, I never could remember what I said. Something about Christ and his love, that was all. He admitted it was a, quote, weak appeal. But Moody then and there gave his heart to Christ. From a man who just who was a Sunday school teacher, and almost didn't do it. Can you imagine if he wouldn't have stopped at that, that store. He' let his fear kept them going. the power of one individual person. And you know what else? Moody, Moody himself led a man to the Lord by the name of C. T. Studd. He became the great pioneer missionary of history. A guy got saved by the name of Wilbur Chapman. This is in the same line. If you'll do history, you'll see that Wilbur Chapman preached and others got saved, and there was a lineage there of where Billy Graham came to faith in Christ. Is, so if Edward Kimball doesn't, doesn't make that connection, it's possible that D.L. Moody doesn't get saved, Billy Graham doesn't get saved. Again, one person, all right? And you never heard of Edward Kimball have you? All right? But even Moody himself, by the way, felt like he was insignificant at times. You ever feel insignificant? I asked you that earlier. Uh, it's kind of, a, kind of a funny story in a way. But he was sometimes called Crazy Moody. Uh, crazy Moody whenever he preached. I, I, can, I, can, I could probably use that, Crazy Murphy. Um, matter of fact, one woman came to him one day after a service and said, As much as you slaughtered a king's English, you ought to never go in the pulpit again. It discouraged him. He didn't know what to do. And he said he felt like God told him this. He said to her, Ma'am, pray for me. I want to do better, and I'm working to try to get better at the English language. But what I'm trying to do is give the gospel all I can with all I know so that all who can hear maybe will come. Then he turned to her and said, Ma'am, what are you doing with what you have? As Johnny Hunt says, some of you may be far more literate than I am. You may be far more literate than D.L. Moody, but the question is, what are you doing for Jesus Christ? In addition, what about the great uh, Charles Spurgeon? I, I quote him all the time. I love You're like, that's your favorite preacher, uh, Brother Patrick. Yes, he is. All right, Charles Spurgeon. Um, this is interesting as well. He went to a church service, and a preacher couldn't get there because it was snowing. You know who was preaching the night that Charles Spurgeon got saved? A layman. He wasn't even a preacher. He was just like a deacon. You know, just, he, just, he was just preaching. He, you know, he, says, uh, he opened he read his Bible, and he said, Look unto Jesus, and behold, you will be saved, all you nations. And he pointed at Charles Spurgeon and said, You, young man, be saved he was saved that night. Unbelievable. Saved that night. Johnny Hunt also said, if we're not too sure of ourselves, if we're not careful, man, it's a powerful statement. Let me repeat it. Let Let me start over. If we're not too sure of ourselves, if we're not too careful, we're going to find ourselves out there waiting until we get it perfect while people go to a perfect hell. Tell them what you know. Tell them what he did for you. Tell him your story. It's called a testimony. What do he do for you? We can all do that, right? Amen? We can all tell our testimony. There was a time when even Johnny, uh, talking about being insignificant, uh, right before I go to the next point, he talked about how he, he also messed up, just like D.L. Moody, uh, butchering the English language. He said that, uh, this is Johnny Hunt, he said, some lady came down after a service one time and said, Pastor, and she was really sweet. She says, I remember who did it. And she, she said, I was glad she helped me so I could get it right. But she said, uh, she said it's not hypocrisy. Okay, hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy. You know, he, apparently, Johnny Hunt had been saying hypocrisy. And said, well, I don't care. This is what he said. Well, I don't care if it is. Some of them hypocrites got right in God this morning. They responded, what are you saying? What I'm trying to say is, this is what Johnny Hunt said. May, I may not say it right, but God always gets it right. right? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Right? We're so depending. It's not that God's depending on you. You're depending on God. Just remember that. Because if nobody is insignificant to God. That means he can use even little old you. Point number two. He saw the value of insignificant gifts. Gifts. Okay, Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 6. It will also be up on the screen. Starting in verse 4. Okay? Now to Passover, a Jewish festival was near. So when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, where, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? He asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. There goes Philip again. That's another sermon about Philip we can do. There's Philip can't do it on his own, or he's up making excuses, right? It's like he couldn't bring the Greeks to, to Jesus. One of his disciples, Andrew... Simon Peter's brother said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they, so, are they for so many? And he did say that, what are they for so many? But he, he, did, get, he did bring the idea to Jesus. Hey, there, there's, a, there's this little boy here that has some food. See? There's a funny story of a, of a young preacher who told this story. and It sounds like me. It sounds like something I would do. But this this uh, little young preacher was up, and he got fired up, and he said, I want to tell you something. He said, Jesus took 5,000 loaves of bread, 2,000 fish, and fed five people. <laughs> he, he messed up. He was a little nervous. An old guy in the service said, listen to what this old cranky old fella said. He said, great day. I could do that. You know, he was giving the, the, preacher, the preacher a hard time. So the young preacher, it messed him up bad. So he, he couldn't finish the sermon. And he just had to throw his hands up. He dismissed. He thought, you know what, I'm going to go back next week. I'm going to preach it right. I'll show that brother. So he went back next week. He said, he said Jesus took five loaves and two fish and fed 5,000 people. Got it right. He didn't hear a word. He said, so he said, so how about that? And the guy, same guy said, great day. I could do that. And uh, he said, how? how could you do that? He said, with, with all you had left over from last week. Um, that's a pretty good one. All right. That was a good one, Mr. Tom. All right. <laughs> but no, but no, no gift is insignificant in the hands of God. Amen? No gift is insignificant. Think, of, uh, think of, the, of the woman in Luke chapter 21, where it says he looked up and he saw the rich dropping their offerings into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow dropping in two tiny coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all these people have put in gifts out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, has put in all she had to live on. God's ability to use a gift is in no way hindered or enhanced by the size of that gift. I, I, you know, I, worked, I coached here at, at Hamilton for 11 years, and uh, I was always kind of like in a way belly aching because, uh, you know, during during um, end of the year banquet time, because I, I never got anything from uh, from players from like a group of players um, uh, I, but I did get two things from Gerald Bristol and Kevin McLean I got a little picture frame about this big from Gerald Bristol all right and I got a little bag with a couple of little goodies in it from Kevin and that was big for me it was little but it was it, it meant a lot to me all right because I you know at least they thought of it you know um, the whole th- story I told you earlier was funny but What he was referring to was a real thing. We know that Andrew uh told Jesus about this little boy with the with the with the food. And he did bring those items to the one he knew could do something with it. Amen. No gift really is insignificant in his hand. Really. Some of you think I could never go witness to my neighbor. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. God can't use me. Yes, he can. He can. Use your gifts to bring glory to God. I don't know about you, but Hallie used her gift this morning to bring glory to God. Amen? Right? What's your gift? What can you do to tell others about Christ and to show others Christ? Because nobody is insignificant to God. That means he can use even little old you. Point number three, he saw the value of inconspicuous service. And that's a hard word. I dare you to say that five times fast. Inconspicuous. But it just in the background. Okay? in the background, not overly overt and obvious. Some of my favorite players, talking about, you know, I gotta talk about basketball. Some of my favorite players I coach are what, or what uh, basketball coaches call dogs, right? And then let me explain, you're like, what you call them a dog, that's a bad thing? No, 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 all right. Dogs are people who don't care if they score a point, okay? Dogs are guys that will get after it. I think of Malik Wallace, some of y'all know Malik Wallace, Gareth Johnson. Um, I, I, I could just tell Gareth to go foul somebody, and that's what he'd do. Okay? Uh, if we were playing a big guy that was beating us up down low, I'd just say, hey, G. we call him G. Look over at G. This is around 2005 to 2007. This is the years ago. And i said, G, go get him. I got you, coach. He was about five foot nine, right? but he was about 190 pounds. Okay? And uh, he was strong. All right, And uh, G, G would go in there, and he would foul that guy, that, that, uh, that big guy, a couple times really hard. All right, and uh, and then that guy would get kind of nervous the rest of the game, going down, going to the basket, and uh, G would come out, come back, and I say, "Good job, you did your job, son." All right, and I say, and he, I'd say, "Olive juice, uh, G." He said, "Olive juice, coach." And you sit down. Olive juice was a uh, was a. Uh, if he hears the sermon, he's going to be. He might be embarrassed, but olive juice was an inside. Now it's not inside anymore. Inside joke because y'all know it. But uh, olive juice was me and him telling each other we love each other. Olive juice, man, I love you, G. And olive juice to Coach Murphy, man, I love the coach. And so, he got, and, and so he'd come off with of olive juice, baby, because and, and, he would go do what I told him to do. But guys who don't care, I got a little bit off track there. The point is they didn't need to score 20 points a game to feel good. They just wanted to just go at it. Just go get the ball, rebound, take a charge, dive for a loose ball. Those guys you've got to have on your team because I can tell you from experience you can't have a team where everybody wants to score uh, 20 points. All right, it's not going to happen. All right, um, I'll tell you uh, another another story about that. I asked the team years ago because I could tell there was some selfishness going on, and they were getting kind of they're getting really uh, uh, what's the word? Um, they they didn't like that one guy was scoring the points. Okay, so they're getting jealous, and, and so I could sense that. And at the end of a practice one day, and I'm not going to tell you year it was because some of y'all know people, but uh, I, I said, "Look, Scott's uh, I I just going to ask you a question. Would you rather everybody on the team score the same amount of points? Okay." all right, everybody scores the same amount points, and we lose 100 to 99 or whatever, okay? Um, or one guy scores 50 points, we win 50 to 49. And believe it or not, that team said the first one. They'd rather just everybody score and lose. And I told him, I said, dude, I love y'all, but if that's really your idea, you need to get another coach. Because right? the last time I checked, it doesn't say your name on that scoreboard except the Trojans. So you, you just tell you know. So anyway, we had a nice little heart to heart that day, but you had to have people willing to play in the background. Uh, the a current uh, pretty popular uh, Christian artist named Lecrae has a song called Background, called Background. It's one of my favorite songs. He says, "I could play the background, I could play the background, because I know sometimes I get in the way. So I want you to take the lead." They want, why don't you take the lead? And I could play the background, and you take the lead. It's evident that you run the show, so I'll back down. You take the leading role, and I'll play the background. I know I miss my cues. I know I forget my lines. I'm sticking to your script. And I'm reading all your signs. I don't need my name in lights. I don't need a starring role. Why gain the whole wide world if I'm just going to lose my soul? But the idea is, let me, let me stay in the background. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 6 says, Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, do God's will from your heart. Andrew is a picture of all those who labor quietly in humble places. Amen? All right, We need those people. Uh, he was a leader with a servant's heart, but he didn't mind getting, thing, getting, uh, getting dirty. He never preached multitudes, never found the church like I've already said. We need more people willing to do that. If too many people want the credit, that's not a great team. Jesus Christ is the MVP of our team. Amen? We're nothing. Because nobody is insignificant to God, that means He can use even little old you. As we ask Mr. Loris to come up, and we close the day. according to Mr. Hunt, Mr. Johnny Hunt, uh, tradition has it that Andrew took the gospel north into Russia, possibly Scotland. He was ultimately crucified in Achaia, which is in southern Greece near Athens. One account says he led a wife of a provincial Roman governor to Christ and that infuriated her husband. He demanded that his wife recant her devotion to Christ and she refused. So the governor had Andrew crucified. He was last to the cross instead a kneel in order to prolong his suffering. Tradition says that it was an X-shaped cross. Most accounts say he hung on the cross for two days, still exhorting passersby by to turn to Christ for salvation. The same injury. What an amazing account of a man that maybe we would have thought as insignificant. But you know what God can... not. Uh, what we do know is that God can use anyone. Amen. 1 Corinthians 1 verses 27-29 through 29, Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. Do you know him? We're going to sing a song uh, that uh, I think, I want to thank Mr. Loris for printing out the copy. You have a copy of it, and the idea is um, not going home empty handed. Must I go home empty handed? It says, uh, thus my dear Redeemer meet, not one day of service give him, lay no trophy at his feet. Must I go and empty handed? Must I meet my Savior's soul? Not one soul with which to greet him. Must I empty handed go? And we're gonna read the rest of it in a moment, but the question is all right, if Jesus were to come back today, would you be going home? If you're a Christian, would you be going home empty handed? Or do you have somebody that you said, you know, that, that maybe you'll see in heaven and say, yes, thank you, Patrick, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Jerome, for telling me about Christ? I don't know. I don't know uh, what, your, what, what your situation is. If that is you, don't go home empty handed. Tell somebody about Christ. Amen. Thank you for being here. And if you do not know Jesus as your Savior, Right. It's the simple uh, a fact of just acknowledging that He is God, that He died on a cross, He rose from the grave, and you want to commit your life to Him. You want to dedicate your life to Him. If you want to make that decision, uh, I'll be up here. The altar is open if you want to pray. Right? And uh, as we sing from your paper, if you don't have one, just let us know. We can get you one. Okay. And this is going to be our closing, our closing hymn today. Must I go home empty-handed? Okay? All right. It's all, standard. Wednesday night, 5.30.